Welcome back to The Remote Worker. My name is Han Torwood, also known as Han Mixed World, and today we'll be chatting with Katie Uniaki. Katie is a freelance translator and copywriter. Originally from the UK and now living full-time in Spain, language learning has played a big part in Katie's journey to remote living and how she came to choose the work she has. In this episode, we talk about the logistics of moving abroad, choosing which clients to work with, and how Katie would go about learning a new language from scratch today. So grab a coffee, a tea, or something stronger, and let's get started. So, Katie, thank you so much for being on the Remote Worker podcast. How are you? I'm going well, thank you. A bit hot, although it is relatively cool in the cave, but outside it's pushing 40, so... Yeah, do you want to tell people where you are, where you're based? So I'm based in the south of Spain in Granada in a little cave house, very little. Yeah, it's a a lovely place to live, even if it is a bit cosy with two of us in here and a dog. But yeah, high summer at the moment, so... Definitely um, not jealous at all. Loving it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's great. Amazing. Well, should we start off with um, you telling us a little bit about your journey into freelancing? And because you do mm-hmm. translation and also copywriting and a bit of bits and pieces, yes. right? So, do you want to just explain that yeah. to us, connect the dots, dots for us? Yeah, sure. So, I studied languages at University of Southampton, just like you, mm. um, <laughs> uh, Spanish and Portuguese. And then it was on my year abroad in Brazil that I did some travel blogging and I really enjoyed that. And then I kept doing some writing for like uh, the university newspaper and things whilst I was in my final year. And then my cousins ran a copywriting agency. So I just got talking with them at a family gathering and they were like, well, we could always use help for like really simple blogging work. So would I be interested in giving it a go? And that's why I ended up writing articles for them about things like rabbit hatches and concrete and all kinds of fun things that all beginner copywriters do. And that's when I kind of, I hadn't even really thought about anything. I didn't know what copywriting was. I'd never really thought about translating despite doing a language degree. But I started looking around online for um, like translation work and I ended up just on like some real content mill kind of sites like Fiverr and Upwork um, doing some translation work for next to nothing at all. But then I finished up with university and then I got a placement in Mexico, which was just like a 12-hour a week job at a um, the University of Colima, again in the middle of nowhere. And that meant that I had all this spare time that I and I was already earning money from teaching at the university so I had all this spare time to really build up my copywriting work and my translation work and by the time I got to the end of that year I'd really built up a solid, solid client base so that it was kind of feasible for me to go back to the UK actually starting to make it a serious business and taking it a bit more seriously myself and then I moved out to Spain at the beginning of 2018 and that's kind of when I really that's kind of all been uphill from there so yeah that's the basics of it love that so what is one thing when you were first starting out either post-graduation or um even like back in 2018 when you said you were going to start creating this as a like serious business what is one thing that you wish you had known when you'd started out well firstly I was in a position to be charging very little because I didn't really have any outgoings. And in Mexico, you can live very well for next to nothing. But I shouldn't have accepted the rates that I did for so long. Because, yeah, when I look back at some of the things, some of the rates I charged for some of the projects I did, I'm like, wow. But also to invest in my business because those first two years, I 
well, three years probably until about 2019, I didn't really properly invest in my business in terms of branding, marketing, courses. And I just mm-hmm. kind of taught myself a load of stuff, created my website all on my own, but it took hours and it just, I went through some headaches that if I just got someone else to do it for me, mm-hmm. I could have saved so much time and so many headaches. So yeah, the main thing is to, once you do have to start, have some income coming in to then start putting it back into your business slowly but surely. And then, cause you really, things start accelerating an awful lot quicker once you start putting that investment in. Sure. No, that's that's really good advice, actually. And I know for for myself, there are quite a few videos online. I know there are a lot of quite a few videos online that say like, do stuff for free or like do stuff for cheap, which Mm -hmm. is great if you've got like, for example, say a side job like you did back in Mexico. And then like that works as a portfolio. But I feel like, yeah, then it's kind of when you stop doing those and then like go on to actually charging what you know you're worth. For sure. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend for upskilling or for, like you mentioned marketing, building a business with any particular sites that you used or courses that you used to kind of get yourself moving? One of the big investments I made in 2019 was a big SEO course, mm. which for copywriters is a really, I did, I knew the basics of SEO. I'd been working with some SEO clients, but to really probably get to grips with it, I did a big, uh, it's called the recipe for SEO six. It's an absolute of information. She's from based in, in Australia. And so um, what, what was the, yeah, sorry, what was her name? Sorry? Kate Tune. Oh, okay, cool. And she, she's based in Australia, did you say? Yeah, she's based in Australia. And she's a real kind of SEO guru, but very accessible kind of guru. Not one of the ones like, you're going to earn six figures in two months. Mm-hmm. If you, you know. No shakes. So, yeah, I like that a lot. And it's all very. <laughs> so, just, yeah, courses are a great place to invest your money, I would say, because they just make you feel so much more confident, take away that, you know, classic imposter syndrome feeling mm-hmm. that we all go through. Because even if you do already know a lot of the stuff, it just reinforces it and just makes you feel a lot more, a lot more confident. Nice. Nice. And then, what particular things were you referring to when you said about outsourcing? to people outsourcing uh, for me is mainly finances um Mm. having an accountant right and I also these days I use a a special like client management software for translators called LSP expert and that takes that's a paid tool it's not outsourcing as such but it does take away so much of the stress of managing jobs and invoicing so that was a great investment. And then I have my accountant who takes care of the rest. And especially in Spain, that is absolutely vital because the tax system over here is, uh, yeah, I will kind of begin to understand it. Right. That makes total sense. When you moved, when you moved abroad, was there anything that you had to particularly take into consideration all of a sudden because you're now in Spain? I wasn't particularly good. I mean, I didn't have that many outgoings and expenses before I moved here because I wasn't really investing in my business, but I wasn't doing an amazing job at keeping track of uh, of, um, receipts and invoices and everything for those expenses. Whereas here, you have to keep a very detailed record because you have to send off every single receipt and every single invoice that you send to clients. You that have to, has to all go off to the tax man because, yeah, they don't trust you out here. They're not willing to take it on. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> you goodness. Take you at your word. 
Yeah, no, that's very interesting because I feel like, especially for a lot of remote workers, I I don't know about you, but I've definitely seen a big trend for people wanting to remote work now and go abroad while they work. Like even if they work with their full-time employer now, they still, like, you know, I I read pieces last week, last week, last year, where people were like, oh yeah, I spent a month in Italy or a month in Spain, like, and still worked, like my work was still in the UK. So I wonder how, have you got any advice for people who are looking to, you know, that initial step, like, oh my God, I've just landed off the plane. I need to find somebody to do my, help me with my taxes, to help me with all this legal stuff. How did you Mm -hmm. go about that? Like, just give us a brief. Just asking for, asking for help, asking for recommendations. There's amazing communities, or, you know, there's Facebook groups and all, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, there's great communities out there. And if you just ask, you know, you can feel a bit shy being like, oh, I'm new here, I don't know what I'm doing, but people are always really happy to help. Nice. Um, so, yeah, my content was a recommendation from, yeah, a, I think it was a group of expats in Granada. And yeah, that's always the best way so that you're not feeling in the dark. Great. Cool. What drew you to the remote lifestyle? I mean, languages degree, doing a year abroad, like that we all get the taste, I feel, once we've done that. But <laughs> what was it that kind of spoke to you? Right, like, Because you kind of probably, you know, you see people kind of going down what we might call the traditional nine to five route, going on to grad schemes, going on to like different jobs in like based in different parts of wherever. What drew you to go, no, that's not for me and go into the lifestyle that you have? I think, as you said, in a way, it was just kind of the lifestyle that I had as a student studying languages and then the year abroad and all of it. It gave me an awful lot of freedom. And although we did obviously have lectures and things to work around, a lot of the year you don't have classes and you can be working from anywhere and you're organising your own time and kind of your own boss already when you're a student because you are having to, yeah, keep your ducks in a row and stay on top of things. So... It was almost kind of a continuation of that. And then I, it just fell into place with getting the... When I was in my first yeah, first couple of years at uni, I thought I might go into charity work, like mm. NGOs, that kind of thing, because I was doing lots of volunteering and things at uni. But as I started this, the doing the bits of freelancing here and there, it was just kind of seemed a non-brainer. And I was like, well, why on earth would I not do this? Like, if I can keep traveling, keep living where I want to be, keep using my languages, yeah, and it's also it's a challenging career as well, and it's fulfilling, and it's somewhere, and, like, why would I do anything else? No, it makes total sense. And so tell us a little bit about kind of your your business mission now. So, obviously, you prefer to work with sort of eco-friendly feminists, did I read that as well, feminist brands that are kind of more about sustainability and being kind and what have you. What drew you to those particular brands and how did you go about picking them obviously any freelancer you have your niches but I'm not going to sit here and say that all my work is always for wonderful feminist vegan eco-friendly brands I just try not to I love it when I do get the work for those brands and those people but I also just try not to work with brands that are actively doing damage to the planet when I was in my first couple of years of freelancing I did you know you do just take any work that comes your way and I remember doing some translations at one point for a Brazilian mining company and Mm -hmm. then the following week seeing that they'd been responsible for this massive like dam collapse and absolute devastation (laughs) and I was like oh why aren't we doing that anymore and I had to then give all of the money I'd earned from that to 
the Amazon uh, charity work in the Amazon just because I felt so terrible that I'd been complicit in their um in that destruction. It was a journey. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, you know, having been so lucky to travel so much and you know, really see the impacts, the pl- plastic pollution there is, and in the, these incredible places in Latin America and things, and it's just like what. I at least want to be not having a negative impact on the planet as much as I can and just try and make it those small differences to both my personal life and my professional life. And now I am fortunate enough to be in a position where I can be picky about who I do want to work with because it is easy to say, I only work with sustainable brands when you actually have a choice of work. But if you're just sitting there with an empty inbox and looking at your bank account slowly draining, then... Yeah, it's not so easy to say no to those companies that are less than ethical. Sure, absolutely. I feel like there is also a much bigger trend now also to go in the, what I keep calling kind travel and kind living, but like it's just because that's what seems to be the name for it. But sort of more sustainable, more green, for want of a better word, companies and missions Mm -hmm. and projects. For somebody who would like to go down that route, do you have a, a place that you go to specifically to find these people or any particular methods that you use to find these brands, I guess? There are specific job boards and things for, there's, there's one called Work for Impact, which is quite new. But from what I've seen and the reviews I've heard, they are doing good things. I'm just very anti-job board these days um, because it's such an effort go filling in those profiles and I mean, it is very worth it at the beginning when you don't have any work but once you get to a certain point just having another profile somewhere else and another, it's just too much hassle so really the place that I would say is just LinkedIn like it is an amazing place for for just connecting with other people that care about the same causes as you do and also just you know letting people know that is your niche even before it comes one of your main niches and you're actually getting a lot of your work in that niche, that doesn't mean that you can't share content related to those ideal niches that you want to work in. Like people sometimes feel like, oh, like, I'm lying because I'm not actively, you know, it's it's not what I do entirely. I'm actually spending most of my time writing about rabbit hutches, but I would love to write about it's, you know, you do just kind of have to just start putting out there the, what you want to be receiving and yeah, LinkedIn is, it used to be obviously just a, such a boring, dry, horrible place. And now it's can be a really nice place to build a lovely community and get recommendations as well. If you are putting that content out there, then other people that are in your network will see you know, what you're sharing and that's your niche and that's your thing. And when they you know, see a post that's relevant, like a job opportunity or a client comes to them that, you know, that's not their thing or they're too busy, then now then pass that on to you cool nice it sounds like you do tend to you tend to network more face-to-face as well like obviously pre-pandemic and all the rest of it but do you not sorry is that a massive kind of assumption are you more of a go meet local communities and network there or do you do it online or are you a co-workspace person I have tried a couple of co-working spaces in Granada but then we started fostering dogs and I started just spending my hope yeah in general I did obviously try and get out to some in-person things in Granada there's not a massive like entrepreneurial or freelancing community Mm. so there wasn't all that much going on so it has been more online than anything else 
even though it would be lovely to be able to meet more people in person. But there is so much you can do online. And obviously, it's just gone from strength to strength in the last year and a half now that people can't be, can't network in person. Absolutely. That makes total sense. But also just talking about networking and community and things like that. What are your thoughts on being multilingual and living and working remotely? I know for me personally, I've found it pretty beneficial, like a skill to have. I don't know what your thoughts are or your take. Yeah, I have only living, lived and worked remotely in Mexico and now Spain. And I've had some other trips. I was in the US for a while, but so it has all been Spanish since I've been freelance of all the Spanish speaking countries that I have been in for extended period. And it has that I can't even imagine what it would have been like if I didn't have the language skills because it is just totally transformational like the amount of friends that I've made and people that I've met that I never could have communicated with because they don't speak any English especially like the proper deep friendships and I had a good friend of mine I made here two years three years ago when I first moved here was lovely Dutch girl she found herself a gorgeous cave with views of the Alhambra here in Granada and it was stunning but she was so busy with work and she didn't know any Spanish at all. So, but she just didn't have the time to dedicate to the Spanish. And it meant that she was here for probably seven or eight months and she never kind of got that connection with the city and the people. And she just found it all a bit stressful and overwhelming. And she ended up yeah, moving on and she's carried on with her travels and she's having a great time. But yeah, just kind of seeing that difference of what having the language has done for me has been amazing and I think I would now find it hard to travel in a country where I don't speak the language or live and work because I just feel so powerless because I'm used to you know being able to communicate and so out of practice now what would have been able to travel probably obviously for so long I'm not used to that feeling anymore but yeah if you can at least pick up a little bit of the language if you're traveling somewhere then 100% do your best put those hours in and get at least to grips with the basics before you go somewhere because it will absolutely transform your experience even if it is just the basics because in the majority of countries people don't expect you to speak their language at all so Mm -hmm. if you can just say please thank you and how much they will absolutely just so appreciate the effort that you're making and that even that can transform your experience somewhere. I 100% agreed I honestly I'm I'm the same I don't know how like business aside I don't know how I could go to certain countries now and not be able to speak Spanish or Portuguese or even some small bits of like, you know, the French A level. It, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things, isn't it? Like it's just being able to connect with people uh, in a way that unless you also do have, have tried to learn the language and succeeded in a situation, I find you don't quite realise just how connected yes. you can get. Yeah, that next level. And when I was in Brazil for my first year abroad, people just, I would see these English backpackers going around with literally not a word Mm. of Portuguese. And I was living and working in a touristy spot, but none of the people, the Brazilians spoke a word of English. Mm. And I was just looking at these backpackers being like, I admire you really, because I would find that terrifying that you literally can't communicate at all. (laughs) Like you just must feel lost constantly but they seem fine with it i 100% agree and especially for places that aren't popular or you know yeah. on the typical <laughs> tourist trails like yeah like even where i mm-hmm. was in south brazil it, it was popular for 
students. But again, I was one of two Brits in this university. And yeah, even the, and the American exchange program was completely separate to our exchange. So it was literally being thrown in the deep end and being expected to pick it all up as you go along. Because, and if you spoke Spanish, I don't know about you, but I found if I spoke Spanish, it was like, like we don't do that here. Like that's offensive. <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. So obviously at school aside and whatnot, so what are your top tips for either picking up a language or keeping up a language? I feel like a lot of people say like there's like picking up very as one thing, but keeping it up maybe. So whichever one. Well, in terms of picking up a language, I would definitely say that having that those actual classes and that solid grounding of grammar when you first get started, even if you just go to an evening class, for, if you really are serious about picking up a language, you do need that grammar at the beginning because it just gives you that foundation. And then, then if you then throw yourself into a situation where you're immersed in the language, you will just absolutely soar because you do have that base and you understand how the language works. But if you just immerse yourself in a language and you actually have no idea, then it'll just take so much longer because, yeah, it's just that your brain can't process anything of what's going on around you. It doesn't have a framework to work with. And then in terms of maintenance, I'm just all about Netflix. I you know, <laughs> live here in Spain. I don't get much of a chance to speak Portuguese. So the majority of my Netflix consumption is in Brazilian Portuguese. And even you know, if a series is filmed in Norway or Italy or wherever it is, then I just go straight into Portuguese. You know, it doesn't have to just be Brazilian content, although obviously that's great for the cultural side of things. I mean, the best thing that's happened to me all week has been the launch of Too Hot to Handle Brazil on Netflix. I'm in two yes. minds about that program. I'm in two minds. <laughs> I don't know if it's because Love Island is just not living up to the thrill at the moment. But yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit like, yay, like, when that came on Netflix as well. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> but, yeah, a real kind of insight into how Brazilian cultures developed since, <laughs> since I was last there seven years ago. But um, Absolutely. Yeah, no, so Netflix all the way. Just use it. Make your entertainment your... Continual, what's the word? CPD, continuous professional development. Love that. So, as an adult, a professional adult, because I've done a genre languages degree and been studying it for years and years and years. But what's one language that, if you had the space now, you would love to learn fresh? I've always wanted to learn Italian. Ooh. I don't know, it's the same as, you know, it's just kind of the Spanish, Portuguese, Italian triangle. And it would be so much more, so much easier. For me, also easy slash confusing as it was learning Portuguese with a basis of Spanish. But I, yeah, I just think it's beautiful and I would love to really probably be able to understand it in Italy in general. It's just, so now, you know, I don't need any more languages for professional reasons. So I feel like if I'm going to learn more languages, it's just going to be one that I think is absolutely lovely. Uh, because, it, I mean, potentially one day, like a language with a different alphabet, my little brother speaks fluent Arabic wow. and he's currently in the States but I'm sure he's going to end up back in some kind of Arabic speaking country so maybe at that stage I would at least try and get a bit of a grasp of, of Arabic to go and visit him but now I tried to learn Japanese when I was 16 or 17 and that did not go well 
Um, so I've kind of been a bit scared of like non-romance languages ever since. That's fair enough. My question to you, I guess, and as and when you decide to pick up Italian, for example, uh-huh. what, because I feel like, you know, you've got Duolingo, you've got Rosetta Stone that are kind of the go-tos for a lot of people and Netflix. But if you were to start learning a language afresh now, what would be your thought process about going about learning it? I would sign up for a class straight away, I think, mm. directly, like structured learning. And for me, it would also have to be in person because I was actually doing a refresher course of, of advanced Portuguese whilst, mm. when the pandemic started last year and it carried on online and no, <laughs> it didn't happen. I think I carried on going to the classes for a couple of weeks and then just completely tailed off. I need to be there, have that discipline, have that interaction. So for me, it would be an actual, an old-fashioned classroom with a teacher would be where I would start. No, that's fair enough. That's, that's good advice. Definitely, definitely good advice. Okay, we're going to talk about bomb, 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 Brexit. Has Brexit affected your business or lifestyle in any way? Or do you think it could do in the longer term? And I don't mean that in a like crazy impending doom kind of way, but, but just sort of, is there anything that you're kind of thinking strategically in the back of your mind? I probably need to be aware of this. Like, yeah, I mean, for me, the main indirect impact of Brexit before it actually happened was having to register as self-employed here in Spain, which does mean that I've got some very hefty social security payments. They're not kind to self-employed people over here. So uh, that was, if it hadn't been for Brexit, maybe I would have kind of gone another couple of years still paying taxes in the UK and like everyone did. But yes, now social security payments are fucked. <laughs> um, but other than that, it's just kind of concerns to the future. And you know, my partner's Spanish. So if we did decide we wanted to move back to the UK, how would that work with him? And then if he were to get work elsewhere in Europe, for example, because he's a university professor, how would that work with me? You know, I've got my temporary residency here in Spain, but that doesn't allow me to live and work in the rest of Europe. So, yeah, what the logistics would be. For all that, it's just all going to be a lot more complicated from here on out. And we just had it so easy, didn't we? Never had to worry about these things. Again, would there be any place that you would recommend going to to read up about the stuff? Because, of course, we have the big old internet that is a whole fountain of all the knowledge and no knowledge. So what would be the best place to go to? I do, yeah, like anyone, I find it hard to like keep up with the developments and things. There are certain Twitter accounts that I follow that like specifically about Britain and Europe and Britain and Spain and they're great places to actually get the news um, that's relevant to people like me or anyone living abroad. Things like recently with the when they're deciding whether or not people that have been vaccinated in Europe can go back to the UK, whether their vaccines count, blah, blah, blah. That's all, you know, you can't find news about it anywhere. So you have to really dig to find out the information that's relevant to you. Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> not easy, but the effort is worth it, I've found. Yeah. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have it any other way. Love it. Amazing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Remote Worker. And thank you, Katie, for sharing your experiences and tips. You can find links to Katie's website below. Tag Katie at Katie Uniaki and myself, Han, at Handmeets World. 
and let us know which language you'd love to learn next. You can also find the podcast on Instagram at the Remote Worker Podcast. Thank you so much again for listening and we can't wait to remote work with you again soon.